the Code Newbie podcast. We talk to people on their coding journey in hopes of helping you on yours. I'm your host, Saran, and today we're talking about how to create successful mobile games with Rhea Sullivan, CTO and founder of Honeybee Games. I did not know that I could even call myself a gamer because I didn't play games traditionally the way that other people said. Rhea talks about her diverse tech background, deciding to dive into game development after years in web development, and how she still feels like a newbie when it comes to game development, even with the massive success she's seen. After this. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for asking me to be on this with you. I'm so happy <laughs> to talk to you. I'm very, very excited that you're here. I think this is going to be a fun conversation. So you have a very decorated resume of tech jobs. You've been to a lot of awesome places. You're an intern at Microsoft and then a program manager at Microsoft. And then you're a software engineer at Google. Can you talk about where your love of tech and coding began? My journey I'm realizing in later career, a little bit different. I just liked science and math, and I did not know what to do with my career, <laughs> you know, as a teenager in high school. And when I had to apply to colleges, I chose my major at random. Huh? Yeah, I found a, a list of good paying majors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they all seemed to say engineering, like nuclear engineering, civil engineering, all those things. And I was like, I wonder what an engineer is. Like, I had no idea. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I never heard that name before. <laughs> yes. And it was during the 2008 recession. So right. like job security, financial security was very important to me. So I chose computer engineering at random and I did not know any coding. I didn't even know what programming was when I first joined college. And I ended up going to a very good engineering college in California and they shared that making mobile apps was part of what you signed up for. That's like mm -hmm. something you Surprise. can do with engineering. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, oh, that's what apps are? I had no idea. <laughs> and so from there, I like had all these app ideas. I got my first Android smartphone. This mm -hmm. was in 2010. And then I went to Borders during mm, the bookstore closing. Oh, Borders. Yeah. And I've got an Android development book and taught myself how to make my first coding project. Wow. And this was all in college. So this was my first quarter slash semester in other places they call it. But yeah, my first section of college. That's when I discovered. But I was already in the major but mm -hmm, it was mm -hmm. just something that I feel like happened to me instead of me <laughs> making that decision. Well, it's so interesting because you, you know, were, were in the, the major, but you still went out and kind of ended up self-teaching anyway. Yeah. I think it's really interesting. You're like, oh, I'm going to get a book and learn how to do this myself. Yeah, it was just because I was impatient and I yeah, just yeah. wanted to launch something and I did not know anything. And it seemed like everyone at my school knew so much. They like yeah. our one on one class. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, like this is that. And I was like, what does that mean? I have no idea <laughs> what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So you went to one of the most prestigious schools for tech and engineering in California, California Polytechnic State University. What was that experience like for you, especially being you know, the person that didn't have that coding background where some of your peers, maybe most of your peers kind of did? What was that experience of being an engineering major like? Well, I guess it was hard, but 
I think my high school experience was also hard mm. growing up as the only black person in all of my classes. Mm. I was just treated differently and treated in a way to feel like people always assumed I was not smart. Mm. And then going to college, it wasn't really that different. There's just a lot less women as well. Mm. But I am the type of person to when people tell me I can't do something, I really, really want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and especially if I'm treated one way, I really want to prove that I deserve to be there. Mm -hmm. That's yeah, the way yeah. that I processed that environment. And I guess that's what made me really strive to catch up and then hopefully even get ahead of where people are going and just maybe trying to find even value outside of class because a lot of people were kind of technically trained already. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to find value where it's like, okay, I'm making products for the real world or projects for the real world and not just things for my school. Tell me what happened after college. Where did your degree take you? Where did your coding journey go? I always had the plan of owning my own company starting a startup or something like that. When I was even in college, I would often drive up to Silicon Valley and just introduce myself to people at mm -hmm. like 500 startups or different companies. I literally just walked in the door and would just introduce myself and just make connections. That was where I was set on going. I was very set once I graduated to start a company. But I was still kind of interviewing because I was interning and stuff. I was kind of interviewing just to see and then during my senior year of college, like my closest family member to me ended mm -hmm. up getting diagnosed with cancer. Oh, and that so was sorry. like the end of November. So mm -hmm. like it was in the middle of all of my interviews. Like wow. I canceled all of my interviews, the rest of them that I had. And then unfortunately, she ended up passing away three months later. And oh. so I just was like a mess. Mm -hmm. And it was hard to even do classwork and everything. But I graduated. And I did like very, very, very fortunately have an offer from Microsoft already. So I kind of just okay, that's good. did yeah. that. But that was not my intention. And it wasn't really what I wanted to do. But I was kind of just going with it because that's all I really had the capacity to do. Mm. And then after going to Microsoft, it was still a lot of turbulence in my personal life. Mm -hmm. So it did also affect my work life. And so I just was not having a good time, I guess, like wow. that first yeah. year out of college and in work. And is that when you got the program manager job or is that a different role at Microsoft? Yeah, that was the program manager job at Microsoft. And it, it was like a culmination of things that just didn't really work for me and then also for a lot of people mm. at the time. Like there was a ton of changes happening at Microsoft. And then like my personal life was just like wild. Oh, and true. I try to yeah. be transparent about this. I was not doing well at work. Like I really was not doing well at work. Mm. I'd done program management in like a product perspective before, but this was data science and it was not something that I felt successful at. Mm. So I ended up just not doing well. And basically I didn't get fired, mm. but they were like, hey, I don't know if this is going to work out. And so I decided to go back into a software engineering role and interview at Google. So now I want to talk to you about Honeybee Games. So we're moving from, you know, Microsoft and Google to <laughs> game development, which sounds like another really interesting career shift. How did you get into that? How did you get into the gaming space? Well, I make games for folks like me. Mm -hmm. I did not know that I could even call myself a gamer because I didn't play games traditionally the way that other people 
said, Mm -hmm. but I was playing games on my phone a lot. And then in my youth, I used to play a lot of online flash games, but it wasn't until a friend basically told me, he's like, Hmm. just because all these people might not call you a gamer, like you play games every day. And then it also like opened my eyes to see that there are plenty of people who do that. Like there are plenty of, especially women that Mm -hmm. play games on their phone, whether that's like a Candy Crush or anything from that Mm -hmm. all the way to like Genshin Impact that might not call themselves a gamer. And then I Mm -hmm. realized, oh, I can make games for people like me. But I didn't really go into it thinking Mm -hmm. I would make money. It was honestly just a passion thing and me just being kind of done and needing a break from traditional tech and startups. Mm -hmm. I was like heavy, like obviously working at Google, working on a lot of different products, and then also doing a ton of work with helping people get into places like Google and then like the startup thing, VC thing. And it weighs on you a little bit. And I was like, I just want to make a game that I want to exist. I feel like I just started. I just did a tutorial and just kept going. And then wow. And then I'm here. And when did that happen? When was the start of the, the game development journey for you? Only two years ago, wow. um, February 2020 is when I wrote, uh, I first downloaded Unity on my computer and oh my did goodness. my first tutorial. I was doing it actually as a way to prepare for interviews for a regular like software engineering role because mm-hmm. I was ready to like maybe look for employment outside of Google mm-hmm. just to try something else and maybe go to a startup or whatever. But I started and I was like, this is really fun. I think I'm going to quit my job and do this for <laughs> however long. Oh, interesting. So when you decided that you, it was fun and you, you really liked what you were learning, was the thinking let me go start my own video game or was the thinking let me go get a job as a game developer i chose for myself personally because it fit Mm -hmm. what was going on in my life at the time i -hmm. chose to start a video game company with no experience wow that is so (laughs) cool okay so so i have to ask what gave you the confident i'm gonna assume it's confidence maybe it wasn't but what gave you the confidence to kind of say you know i'm not gonna get an internship which feels like a you know a logical next thing to do if you're entering a you know a field that you're new to i'm not gonna get an entry-level job i'm just gonna like build my own thing right how did you get to that place you know emotionally in terms of your your headspace of saying i'm not gonna try to get more official experience first i'm not gonna try to build a resume first i'm just gonna just start building a game for myself? Honestly, like, I just felt called to. I don't know Hmm. if that's, like, weird to say, but... Interesting. I knew that I was ready to just do my own thing. I think Hmm. I had done enough healing, and then I also needed to be closer to my family, and I was already moving home, and it just Mm. It just aligned. It aligned with everything that was going on in my life where like I didn't have many responsibilities other than, you know, showing up for family and stuff. But that's what aligned. And I was just ready to bet on myself and just Mm. feel like I can do this, you know, Mm. Mm -hmm. especially after working in startups for so long and trying to like as an advisor, you know, trying to pour into all of these different startup founders and try to like give them confidence and try to help them and stuff. But my cup was just empty after doing that for so long. Mm. And I was like, how do I fill my own cup so that I I can eventually get back to 
help like in being in service to other people. Mm-hmm, I can't mm-hmm. do it from an empty cup. How do I pour into myself? And I just didn't want to work for anyone. I had almost lost my mom. Mm-hmm. She's okay now. And wow. so I just I needed to spend as much time with her as I wanted mm-hmm. to. It really just put into perspective like, oh my gosh, like career chasing and all that stuff is not what's most important to me. It's like it's mm-hmm. my foundation and I just wanted to spend as much time as possible with like my family. So the game that ended up blowing up and and really giving you a lot of success, I believe, was the Boba story, right? Yeah. Was that the game that you started with when you decided to quit your job and say, like, I'm going to build my own thing? Was that the game or did you start in a different place? Oh, no, not at all. I've actually just been making a lot of games. A lot of Mm. them you just can't see. Like, I I Mm -hmm, didn't launch mm -hmm. them and I made them with other people or whatever. But I, as a learning process, and also something that I got as advice from veterans, like people who have been successful in the game, is to basically just keep launching games. Don't spend too long on them. Hmm. And like, don't make your dream game as your first game because you're learning. Right. After launching the public beta of Boba Story, I was working on another game and also even thinking about what the game after that is going to be. And then Boba Story started to gain a lot of traction. So I've shifted my focus back to that game. But even Boba's story is not the game that I eventually want to make. Interesting. So even where you are now is not necessarily the the place you want to be. I mean, I think that it'll at least get me to that next point. Mm-hmm, but I'm mm-hmm. honestly still learning. But I've launched three games on my own. And then nice. I've made five or six more. Something like that. Wow, that's pretty solid. (laughs) Yeah. This is something I took away from my startup journey, though, is iterating fast. And something that I learned early on from a mentor, um, one of the first games I made, he asked what my next steps were. And I was like, oh, I need to add like 100 more levels before Mm -hmm. launching this. And he was like, well, you already have 25. Oh, that's a lot. (laughs) Well, it, it wasn't. It was not a complicated game. I don't know, it, oh, like it was not a complicated yeah, okay. game at all. Yeah, and it was something like getting through the twenty-five would only take like maybe ten minutes. Maybe. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah, it was very gotcha. very small. And he was like, "Oh, add analytics and and launch this now. If you don't know someone's going to get past level two, you don't need to add a hundred more levels. You need to figure out why people aren't getting through the first two, and mm-hmm. also like." get from that that maybe that's not the game to invest in Mm -hmm. so maybe you should start working on different games and more games but it also takes like many weeks to get analytics in so Mm -hmm. that's also time that you can be spending on new games okay i want to dig into specifically boba story which has had a ton of success before we get into that i want to hear a little bit more about kind of the journey on the way to getting there so when you said you know, I'm going to leave my job, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to launch into this, you know, full time. What was that learning process like for you? How, how did you learn game development? How did you continue to learn over the last couple of years? I think I understood what my capabilities were 
which was not much from the beginning. I knew that I, <laughs> like I needed to learn the tool first. Like I needed to learn how to use Unity first. Right. My right. specific process is, like I said, I played a lot of online games before. I get a lot of my inspiration from games from like the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So I make games about bubble tea, boba, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. What's the simplest way of making a game about that? So I thought about a couple of games that I liked. One of them was this sandwich stacker game where things fall from the top of the screen and you have to catch them. Mm -hmm. So I first just tried to find a tutorial that seemed really, really easy that had something falling from the top. And finding that, I feel like that kind of gets me always to the next step. Like figuring out what that little tiny thing could be and like what is the easiest easiest version of that and try to find a youtube tutorial everything has just been like iterations of youtube thus far (laughs) (laughs) you can break everything down into um something that is like small enough for that so what were some of the most challenging parts of game development for you, especially things that maybe you didn't you know, anticipate or didn't feel as obvious as you were actually building out the idea and working on the product? What were some of the hardest parts? It was quite shocking to me that game development is so object-oriented, mm. especially because there's been such a huge wave away from object-oriented languages mm-hmm. in traditional software engineering, I think people are very averse to like a Java or a C sharp or anything like that, because people seem to really love functional languages. Mm. But games are extremely object oriented. And you have to really think hard about which object owns what that was kind of the biggest shock for me. Mm. Because say you have like a ball hitting the floor. Do you have the reaction? In the ball or in the floor? Hmm. Which one is firing? Because usually when it touches, it fires a method. But which ones? Do you Mm. fire the floors? Do you fire the Hmm. balls? Or do you fire both? So say a bunch of dirt comes up when it bounces. Does Mm -hmm. that come from the floor? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's not easy. That was probably one of the hardest things. But number two is just not knowing the names for things. Like Mm -hmm. I can come up with mechanics or whatever. But very, very often, I don't know the game developer language around a lot of things. That has probably been a little bit of a disadvantage because I don't have that traditional background where they teach you all these terms. But what has kind of supplemented that is the fact that I have cultivated community and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really tried to put myself out there. I build in public. So Mm -hmm. every time I build a game, I say everything that I'm doing on either Twitter or wherever. So I don't really hide much. And because of that, I'll meet other game developers and stuff. And then I ended up being added to a discord with other game developers. And sometimes if I'm like, hey, y'all, this is Mm -hmm. something that I want to do, but Mm -hmm. I don't know the name of it to even understand where to start. And one of them was like, I wanted to when a character gives money that it kind of has an arch but I did not know what that meant like what to call that and then someone a person that I didn't know helped me Mm -hmm. by understanding what I was asking for and then very simply just sent me a YouTube video being like oh that's called jump 
I know this, that doesn't mean anything to you saying jump, but I'm just saying that like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just the, the fact that a lot of my pitfalls have been supplemented by meeting other game developers online. So let's get into Boba Story, which is a mobile game. It's had a lot of success. It currently has over, uh, I think it's a million users on iOS and Android. Is that right? Mm -hmm. How does it work? What does it look like? What is the object of the game? Tell us all about it. Boba Story is a mobile game at the core of it, just making cute boba drinks. That's mm -hmm. kind of the very core of it, making cute drinks, decorating a cafe. It's a business management simulation game mm -hmm. it's inspired by a lot of different games and a lot of different art styles there is a story i'm still working on it the game is still technically a beta it has been doing well which is i'm very very happy about and it's still like not even close to being done yet <laughs> so i'm very wow. happy that people are already liking it with a game that's not done yet hmm. i get a lot of inspiration from like studio ghibli mm -hmm. there's a free course on Khan Academy, K-H-A-N mm -hmm. Academy on Storytelling mm. by Pixar. Oh, and cool. after my game that I launched in February of 2021, and I was coming up with a new game, I did that storytelling class and I learned so much. And I feel like that got me to at least writing the lore of this game to at least like inform the foundation pieces of it. And I think that class, oh my gosh, it's, it's so great. I feel like everyone should take mm -hmm. it. It's free, doesn't take too much time, and it's really, really fun. So back to Boba's story. That's how I got to where it is. It's mostly about decorating a cafe and doing that. Mm. But there, there is a, a larger story. But okay. what people are loving right now is just the amount of customization mm -hmm. and I guess like the cuteness of the lids and the boba balls and people love to customize at least in my target demographic they really love to have that kind of artistic expression were you surprised at the the feedback that the game got and the the level of attention and success that it's gotten so far yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. tell me about that what were you kind of expecting what happened and and you know what happened instead I'm very happy with Boba's story. The fact that people are liking it without having all of these extra things, I'm really happy about. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the initial downloads are just from TikTok. And I think that that's also mm. what's been helping me is that during the development process, I would often go on TikTok and say, like, go on lives or something. I would get a lot of ideas from my audience. They were telling me all the things that they really loved and they were just requesting a ton of frog and mushroom stuff yeah, <laughs> so okay. cool yeah and, and um, i felt like i was getting a lot of that engagement but i'm hopeful for the future of what it could even turn into um but yes i'm very i'm surprised mm. what do you think helped it get so popular did you do any advertising any partnerships is there anything kind of you did on your end to to kind of help it along or what do you think uh, made it made it pop so well so i did not do any paid advertising everything is a hundred percent organic so while i was building it i did have a tiktok to mm -hmm. um, at least raise awareness and i think i started talking about it on tiktok like june or july Mm -hmm. launched it the last day of September slash October 1st. By that time, I think I had like 14, 
thousand pre-registrations or pre-orders or whatever Mm -hmm. so that definitely at least like helped me see what was working what's not because I do have live analytics so I can at least look at what what was working what wasn't and so consistent updates and also just taking the feedback that like was good or that like I could actually take action on I did do that so I feel like just doing that consistently at least got it to a place where people were liking it after they downloaded it but the super surge started in february and i have i still to this day have no idea why i still have no idea why Interesting. i remember waking up on like that monday because i hadn't checked the stats all weekend and being like oh my gosh fifty thousand people just downloaded it in this past weekend because i was maybe getting like (laughs) if on a good day i could get almost a thousand downloads in a day but then it was like 50,000 a week and oh my god and then at some point it hit like almost 50,000 in a day like new people wow I don't know why that happened but it has at least helped me get to know that Boba's story is something to invest time Mm -hmm. and money in Mm -hmm. and so I'm going to continue with it and I think I want to take it to completion Mm -hmm. and I wasn't sure if I was going to do that before and now I am sure Coming up next, Bria talks about the different factors that contributed to the success of her big breakthrough game, Boba Story, after this. So when I think about the attributes of a game, right, it feels like there's a lot of things that kind of need to work for it to be successful. As you mentioned, it has to be, you know, visually appealing, whether that means it's, you know, really cool and has really great effects, or in your case, it's really cute and kind of pleasant to look at. It has to have, you know, levels and progression. It has to have something of a challenge. You want it to kind of be addictive, maybe not like a dividend evil kind of way. You know, there's so many little things that kind of need to come together to make it successful. When you think about your game, what do you think drove that success? What do you think got people so interested? I imagine the fact that it's Boba is probably, you know, a part of it. I feel like Boba's like really blown up and taken over in the last like five years, it feels like. But what do you attribute the game's success to? What do you think really connected with people? I think it was really getting to know my target user. Before I used to want to make games for people that liked Boba. But instead, I feel like I had to learn this after a few iterations of other games, that instead I need to make games for people that like mobile games, that Mm. like Boba, and getting to know those people. And even just interviewing them and asking them, what do they do in their day? What other stuff do they like? By doing Hmm. that, I got to at least understand what other things motivate them and what makes them happy and incorporate that into the game like even in the characters my audience is very diverse in their ethnic backgrounds and in their gender and Mm. they love other gender expressions being shown Mm. getting to know the things that they love like what people are crazy about frogs in this um, <laughs> in this thing and and i feel like there's there's so thing. many games about cats and like 
that's huh. kind of been done. And so I tried to like just move on from that and see where people are kind of pushing toward. But I think the biggest thing is just getting to know them and making sure that they're reflected and the things mm -hmm. that they like are reflected have been the most successful for me. Interesting. I love that you did user research. That's something that, you know, whenever you're building a new thing, whether it's a game or an app or even just a physical product, you should always be talking to users and, you know, getting to know your customer. And it's really cool that that was a, you know, a big part of your process. That's really neat. What's the long-term goal for you? Are you hoping to be a gaming studio that keeps kind of making hits? Is the goal to someday transition into, you know, maybe a little bit more of a predictable income and be a game developer? How do you kind of, you know, balance what you know about starting companies and the risk involved with your passion for games in terms of planning your career? What's kind of been a guiding thing for me, every time I've made a decision out of like greed, quote unquote, or wanting money, it has never worked out for me. Mm. I joined gaming with the expectation I would not make any money. Okay. And just purely Smart. out of the joy, yeah, yeah. I think, and, and not getting emotionally tied to mm -hmm. the outcome. I would like to create a game studio, not even because I'm like extremely passionate about gaming or anything like that. Mm -hmm. What I'm more passionate about are people with tech skills being able to create a business outside of the startup mm. or big tech world or whatever without needing VC or anything like that. I'm more interested in learning and even being an example of someone that was not needing the things that they always tell you that you need, mm -hmm. whether that's like to be in a big incubator or you need to raise a ton of money. It has to be a mm -hmm. billion dollar company. I'm hoping that I just want to have a sustainable company where hopefully I'll make more than I did when what I was working for a big company. And then I also okay. am not bogged down by being part of a thing that's making things that I don't think are helping my community or even potentially mm. hurting my community. Mm. I'm trying to do this as ethically as possible mm. with the idea that hopefully in the future, other people will be interested in starting their own and not even it doesn't even have to be a game, but just something to sustain themselves that might solve a problem that their community is facing. And it doesn't have to be this like huge saving lives thing, but just like a small need and maybe a couple million dollars a year, mm -hmm. small company. And yeah. like, that's my motivation. And that's also kind of my goal with this. Have a small team well-paid people who really love what they do. Mm -hmm. So you've written in the past that you still feel like a newbie as a game developer, which, you know, is interesting because I guess technically it's only been two years. You know, it's not like you have a decade of experience. So that kind of makes sense. But on the other hand, the success of the game that uh, you know, you're currently working on is a lot greater than most game developers with a lot more years of experience. Can you tell me about that feeling, that newbie feeling that you get and what that means to you? I love feeling new to things. Oh, okay. Wow. I've <laughs> yeah. never heard anyone say that. <laughs> Tell me well, more. I think, I think it's because I love the feeling of growing. And I, mm, and I feel like fair. a lot yeah. of the time when people leave their job, it's because they feel like they're not growing. And that was mm -hmm, definitely true mm -hmm. for me. Or growing in the way that I want to. And getting into uncharted territory is like practicing courage and being brave. Mm. And I 
sometimes like want to exercise that because you recognize other people that have like had that courage and it's like oh what if i did like what if like it actually did work out what if i Mm. operated from the space of what if it does work out Mm. and usually when you operate from that space stuff does kind of work out Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love this idea of practicing courage. I think it's a really beautiful way to put it. You mentioned that um, you know, sometimes you're you're still scared. What are you afraid of? I think I'm afraid of settling. I'm afraid of not dreaming. Before I was af- I was afraid of actually like going for it because I was like, oh, what if I, I I think I'd be okay with this. But I had a someone in my life tell me that's older than me share the thing that she would share with the the younger her younger self is to dream bigger and I'm like okay am I am I limiting my own potential so I think Mm. I'm scared of limiting my own potential sometimes Mm. because I I have the tendency to do that yeah I think a lot of people can definitely relate to that so you know if our listeners are thinking about possibly getting into game development i'm wondering what uh advice do you have for them what's your biggest piece of feedback guidance for people who might want to break into game development and make you know their their own successful game one day i would say don't make your dream game as your first game Mm -hmm. do the smallest version you can think of and launch it within three months Tops. Oh, wow. Wow. Only three months. Oh, my goodness. It mm-hmm. seems like no time at all. Then you better wow. cut as many features as you can <laughs> to launch it. Get it into people's hands as soon as possible because right. you don't really want to waste your time with that. And then also, like, no one knows what they're doing. Like, no one actually does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so just have fun with it. It's, it's, it's so fun. And if you're not having fun, maybe don't do it. Those are the three biggest things. And just to recognize that, like, it's not impossible. Now, at the end of every episode, we ask our guests to fill in the blanks of some very important questions. Bria, are you ready to fill in the blanks? Yes. Number one, worst advice I've ever received is? To write a bad peer review. Oh my goodness. Tell me about that. Or at least don't write a bad peer review without having a conversation first. Okay. Someone else told me to do that instead of just letting someone know Uh because that is set in stone when it actually goes to their manager or anything like that. Nothing happened, but it's just kind of weighed on my spirit since Mm, then. And I feel really bad for doing it. Yeah. Okay. I totally get that. Number Mm. two, best advice I've ever received is? To dream bigger. Mm. Number three, my first coding project was about? It was a saving money and spending habits Android app. I love how responsible that is. <laughs> That's such, such a, <laughs> a responsible first app to build. <laughs> saving money. I love it. <laughs> Number four, one thing I wish I knew when I first started to code is using concepts for kids to help explain the basics. I think I would have oh, gone on like code.org yeah. or any of those kids' explanation mm-hmm. websites. Mm hmm. I feel like they do a way better job and they make it way more fun. I love, I mean, just the whole category of explaining like I'm five, right? Whether it's like the YouTube videos that do it, the Reddit posts that do it, like wherever you are writing to children, amazing content. <laughs> just <Yes>. amazing content. <laughs> so yes, wholeheartedly agree with that. Thank you again so much, Bria, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. This was really great. I wish you nothing but the best. <laughs> Thank you.
This show is produced and mixed by Levi Sharp. You can reach out to us on Twitter at CodeNewbies or send me an email, hello at CodeNewbie.org. For more info on the podcast, check out www.CodeNewbie.org slash podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next week.